The following interview with David Black was taken from our Talking Wealth show on Flix. That's F-L-I-X-X dot net. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where the wealth within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader or investor. Wealth Within was voted number three for Stock Market Podcast globally in 2018, so I hope you enjoy listening. We cover topics from trading to investing, as well as wealth creation to ensure you can achieve your financial goals. Because as we always say, lifestyle matters. As a global leader in stock market education, you can fast track your journey towards financial freedom by studying with Wealth Within. If you'd like more information about our government-accredited courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre. Please note that the information in this podcast should not be considered personal financial advice. Well, I wanted to welcome back our property person or property expert, David Black from Capstack Partners. How are you today, David? And it's good to have you back on the show. I'm doing really well. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, last week we talked, we got a lot more into the the, um, commercial property and obviously people buying houses. This week I really did want to focus a lot more on investing um, and investors and what opportunities could be out there for people looking to invest in property. I know there's an old saying or the old saying that I was taught, there's never a bad time to buy a property. There's just sometimes there are better times to buy them and I wanted to sort of investigate that. But first I wanted to get into interest rates. Now interest rates all-time low and I know last time you said the only way is up from here but when and I think that's a big question I get asked a lot is when do you think interest rates will rise Um, is it going to be they're going to be low under the Biden administration or will they start to go up I think that uh, you could expect them to go up Uh, I mean they've obviously been at historic lows I, I would say you know certainly within the U.S. and even globally uh, for the most part. Um, But I think within the U.S., uh, you know, Biden is going to be funding a lot of programs. There's going to be a lot of government spending. Uh, There's going to be more stimulus expected. Uh, And I think that all that is ultimately going to translate into higher rates uh, in the near term. I don't necessarily know if it's going to spike, you know, within a quarter or two, uh, but I certainly think that, you know, at least over the next couple of years, we could expect to see at least a trend of it rising for sure. Mm. I know with Australia, with stimulus package, it's always about building and construction, getting getting people out there working, building homes, um, building new office buildings, getting that happening, getting infrastructure happening. Is that the, that's what you're expecting? Uh, It's certainly what's necessary within the U.S. Uh, You know, that is something that has been uh, spoken about. uh, But everything that I've seen and heard more directly has been talking about uh, just keeping the spigot of capital pumping Mm -hmm. uh, as a means to provide uh, support. I think that uh, when... The COVID lockdown happened uh, earlier in the year. Uh, A lot of that kind of support 
uh, in the trillions, uh, you know, was provided immediately. And uh, I think the general sense was that it really helped uh, businesses, it helped people, it helped the economy go, keep going, it helped capital markets keep going. And so now it's just been a function of how much more can be provided to sustain that uh, until the training wheels can come off, so to speak, and, you know, businesses and people can start to do a lot of this uh, on their own again. So I think it really has to do with, uh, you know, just pumping more capital uh, into the stimulus versus the idea of having infrastructure type projects uh, be a part of that, you know, but I will say that that in and of itself is something that I do think contributes positively to an economy. And I do think translates into jobs and to, into uh, revenue generation and a lot of good things. Mm, mm. Yeah, it is. And it's the more the money the government pumps into that area, the, the better it is. Now, obviously, you were just saying a, a minute ago that you would expect interest rates to rise. What can people do to um, any mitigate any risk from rising interest rates? I mean, I know a lot of people, uh, especially when they're buying their own home, tend to over leverage. They over borrow. Um, I will borrow as much as I can. And one of my mentors in my early days said, Dale, never, ever borrow everything you can. Always leave some on the table in case something happens. Um, that way you can always go back to the bank and get a little bit more if you need to. Um, is So what do you expect or what do you expect over in the next year or two and how can people look at that and say, okay, how do I mitigate my risks against any rising interest rates? Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a couple of ways to think about this. Uh, you know, I, I would say that the uh, the debt markets right now are doing the uh, policing for you as a borrower. So even if you wanted to get out there and try to be aggressive with your leverage, uh, I don't think you can uh, unless you have a good story to tell. You know, and you're actively creating value in a given uh, investment property. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be in at whatever the market's going to dictate, uh, you know, is a reasonable risk adjusted uh, advance or loan that they'll provide you. In terms of how to uh, think about a rising rate environment, well, there's a couple of ways. You know, if you're buying a stabilized asset that you want to hold, maybe you're going to do some work, but, uh, you know, in the end, you're really just buying it to get rental yield. Uh, don't go for the uh, floating rate uh, loan. Uh, you want to fix out and get a fixed rate loan if you can help it. Uh, if you can't, uh, you know, and if you want to get technical, you can get a swap or even a rate cap uh, or something like that uh, as a means to hedge against uh, rate rising risk. So, you know, that's that's the way I would think about it. But, you know, they, you look at, at least in the U.S., long-term rates right now, which are at historic lows that you can fix out. I mean, we've certainly had some investment properties over the last year or two where we've put, uh, you know, 10 year money on, um, you know, we've gotten some interest only uh, in the early part mm -hmm. to allow for value that we're going to create to enhance cash flow. Uh, but with the idea that we're going to continue to widen that spread between what we collect between reducing expenses to end up with that net cash flow yield after we pay that fixed rate mortgage. And we know that our property is going to inherently be worth more because of that net cash flow 
because of the foresight that we had now or in the last, you know, call a year or so uh, to have, you know, locked in fixed rate financing at the rates that we're being offered today. Mm. Yeah, it's very smart. And, I, and I, I really hear what you're saying. And a lot of people don't think of some of those points that you've made when they're getting into investments or investment properties. One thing, I, I know that you're an expert in obviously distressed properties as well, distressed buyers and, and working in that area. And then obviously with COVID, there were a lot of um, restrictions around what uh, landlords can do obviously with rents and obviously evictions and a whole range of other things. Do you see a lot of distressed housing coming on um, on the market over the next 12 months or so as things sort of ease off a little bit on those areas? I, I do. Uh, I think that we're going to see uh, probably in the next 12 to 24 months uh, a, a lot of distressed opportunities uh, we've been actively pursuing and we even acquired a portfolio of uh, distressed notes uh, on investment properties. Uh, and I think a lot of it isn't just, uh, it's not that they're materializing right now and suddenly becoming distressed. It's that a lot of them were offered forbearances once COVID happened to just give everybody a time out. You know, I, I kind of call it, you know, like an induced coma, if you will, um, you know, just because it was uh, emergency triage, you know, something had to be done. Uh, and so everybody got uh, a little bit of breathing room just to get, you know, their house in order, figuratively, so speaking. And, um, you know, the capital markets have recovered fairly well. Uh, they've continued to just keep operating and humming along, which is a good thing. Uh, and what you're seeing now is that these forbearances are now starting to uh, expire, or they will anyway, fourth quarter, first quarter next year, second quarter next year, if they've gotten additional extensions. And at some point, you're going to see banks just finally accept that these loans are just not coming back and they're gonna write them off. And because they're in a very healthy position from a capital standpoint, they can afford to just take the hit, take the capital that they get on recovery and just call it a day and put that money back out doing what it is that they do, making healthy loans, you know, starting from scratch. So what that does is it ends up translating into distressed opportunities that are going to ultimately present themselves uh, to any buyers that are opportunistic and you know are willing to go in there and get their hands dirty to try to turn something around and create value. Mm. Is this broad across the US or are you seeing better markets than others or better cities than others where this might occur? Because obviously not everywhere is going to be a great place to invest, but sometimes when you get a lot more distress selling, it may not be a great place to put your money as an investment. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think that that's definitely a fair consideration. I think no matter what, you have to start with what your investment thesis is. You know, if you like a particular asset class, you like commercial assets, you like residential assets, you like retail assets, hotel assets, whatever it is you like, uh, as well as the markets or the market characteristics that you like, you know, you have to look at it mm. at a very basic fundamental level because despite the fact that it's distressed again it, you know and i've said this previously but you know it's 
it's a big, slow, fixed asset. You can't get out of this thing if it doesn't go your way. So you don't want to speculate on this. If you're going to speculate on real estate, you should buy real estate investment trusts in the public markets. You know, buy equities so you can jump out of it if you proved wrong. Uh, but if you are thinking fundamentally, if you're thinking long term, then that's really how you should be approaching any sort of distressed investment. And then at that point, you take a look at the specific circumstances surrounding the distress for that particular asset or portfolio, and then you know you make the investment accordingly. You know, so for us, the portfolio that we acquired was single-family rental properties. We liked the markets that they were in. We liked the market trajectory. Uh, we liked the uh, fundamentals supporting job growth, wage growth, income growth. And then we looked at the properties themselves and said, okay, you know, what are the impacts here? What's the right price to bring it back to a stabilized value? You know, same thing with some suburban office assets that we acquired from some banks recently. We liked the markets first, we liked the assets. And then again, we took an analysis of the distress surrounding the specific deal and priced it accordingly. But that's absolutely the approach you have to take before you jump into any deal versus the idea that you're buying something at a discount because we all like good deals and every like we like things on sale. You know, but again, you can't get out if you're wrong as quickly as you can get in. Yeah, I know. Um, I was um, in the US sort of just after the, the GFC and, and you know, we saw houses in Vegas that were just like going for a steal. And, but I also know there were lots of houses around Detroit and other areas that were just so depressed um, and very, very cheap to, to get. Um, but it didn't make those necessarily a great investment property to be at the time. Mm -hmm. So you do. And, you know, what you're talking about is actually making a business decision. I know a lot of what I would call retail investors who go out and invest in property to, you know, to buy one or two or more investment properties. Uh, they'll go in and look at the house and, you know, if they like the kitchen, they like the bathrooms and they'll go, yeah, that's it. I'll buy that. And Quite often uh, what I find is people make the mistake of just looking in the area around where their house is or where they live themselves because they feel they know the area. Um, and to me, that's not necessarily the best place to buy a, an investment property just because you know that area. I mean, I've got a property I've never even seen in my life and I've owned it for over a decade. Um, so to me, it's just about like you're talking about, it's a business. You look at the return on investment, what's your input, what are the costs, what are the, what's the chance of capital gain that you're going to get over the medium to long term? Cause it is, as you said, not, you can't easily sell off a bedroom on your house. It's a longer term investment and looking at it like a business makes a lot more sense um, from that point of view. Are there tools that people could use to help them work all those metrics out or uh, to calculate the, the real value of the property and their return? I, I think so. And I think that's really actually to your point hmm. of being able to reach into markets that may be unfamiliar to you, the ability to ramp up, you know, you've got so many public resources, you know, you could really start at, you know, the idea of tracking job growth and, you know, the, what the unemployment rate is, you know, by city, you can really zoom in or zoom out. Uh, you know, these things are readily available. They're usually tracked by government or uh, companies that provide that information. They repackage a lot of the government data into something that you could actually read. Uh, there is also 
uh, property tracking through a lot of you know brokerage uh, company websites. They do market reports by asset class, and these are all provided for free. Uh, in addition to just reading periodicals and you know just keeping up with you know where things are going in a particular market, uh, you know so a lot of that stuff is 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 really at your fingertips, you know, and we utilize all of that. It's it's there's no secret recipe here to really getting smart about uh, something or an area or property type that you might like, and and having conversations with people on the ground in those markets to see you know, either what kind of supports or, you know, what kind of headwinds you could be facing by coming into a market like this could all be done at your desk. Mm. Oh, yeah, it can. And I know uh, one thing that happened in Australia a few years back is a lot of people tended, they, they tend to go for rental yield. So I'm getting a higher rental yield rather than looking at for capital gain. And I know uh, a little while back, there were a lot of people buying houses around mines in outback sort of in outback queensland or western australia um and i was chatting to them i go why did you do that and they're going well i'm getting this massive amount of rent and i said yeah but what happens if the mine stops well, who are you going to rent it to and they didn't think of those things and then the mines did stop or some of them did stop because whatever they were mining got too expensive to mine or the price of it dropped through the floor as commodities tend to do they go up and down um, and then they were stuck with these houses with large mortgages on them that they couldn't sell and they couldn't rent and to me it's you really do need to do that research about areas about what's going on that long-term demand of having a tenant in that property and, and also looking for that capital gain do you have um um with looking at those sorts of things in terms of what does make a good investment property what sort of uh, criteria would you look at uh, as to what makes a good property investment mm. so we certainly uh i i always like to say you make your money on the buy yes yeah yeah uh so to me um understanding you know where your entry point is or that range you know you got to figure out you know where you want to be uh you know in terms of the buy price uh and you want to be comfortable with it from a risk reward standpoint uh i do think that you want to be receiving uh an acceptable yield on your money because this is real estate you know, and again, you certainly want to have some uh, value appreciation manifest uh, over time that you can take advantage of either by sale or by refinancing, mm -hmm. um, which is ideal because then you can continue holding the asset and getting the yield as well. Um, you know, so those are the kinds of things that we like to pay attention to in terms of the trends for rent growth and the sustainability of the rent that we anticipate collecting in the near term and long term. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we also like to think about, um, you know, you, you definitely want to give some thought and attention to the capital structuring mm. of the deal that you're doing, you know, and this is one of the advantages that real estate offers compared to a lot of other assets where you can actually leverage your position coming into it from an investment standpoint. And not only that leverage most of the investment, you know, so it really should give you a very enhanced yield as a result versus making the numbers make sense, right? That's the difference between a reach and a good deal. So you don't want to reach as a result of having the leverage available. Um, but in terms of, you know, we're 
I like to think long-term, even if I get off the ride shorter term, <laughs> uh, you know, so it really does have to make sense for me, both in terms of providing uh, a reasonable cash flow yield. And, and I like to think of it and say, okay, if I held this asset for 10 years, what do I think the, you know, call it capital gains potential of this asset could be in three years, five years, seven years. If it's something that I believe could be relatively high, you know, that's a good sign because now I've got optionality in my exit because I can sell, like I mentioned, but I could also refinance. Mm. And so that might give me some consideration in the capital structuring when I'm financing to do one of two things, either put three or five or seven year financing on a 10 year hold, or make sure that the exits on the longer term financing aren't going to be penalizing me with heavy fees or prepays or, you know, those kinds of things so that I could refinance, take advantage of that higher value and still hold the asset without having to be forced to sell to realize that gain. Mm. Uh, this, it's, what you're talking about sounds so similar to how I teach people about the stock market and trade. I mean, not one word of all of that was about the specific house or property that you purchase, such as you know, it has three bedrooms, it's close to schools, transport, whatever those is. It was all about the business and the plan. And to me, that's what we teach traders in the market saying, well, you need to have a trading plan. What are you doing? What's the process? What are you trying to achieve? Uh, what's, what's the money? Look at, work at your leveraging, work at everything you want to do first. And then you find the stock that fits the plan. Uh, and you're pretty much saying the same thing. Here's the plan. This is how much I can borrow. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm looking for yields in this sort of range that's acceptable. I'm looking for capital growth. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z and coming up with a plan. And then once you've got that solid plan, then you just pick the properties or the investments that fit that plan. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. I, I think that's absolutely correct. I think that's, it's, it's so critical. And I think you're right. I think that those principles and that discipline really do apply universally across any asset class, because mm. I think if you go in without it, and without that that structure, you're just going to get whipped around by what the trend is and what the you know broader sentiment is, and that's just a that's just a setup for losing money. Yeah, yeah, I think all too often, I mean, you know, when you're buying your own home, it can be much more of an emotional decision. You want to buy in the area that you like and the house that you like, but. You know, when I'm talking with investors in uh, whether it's the stock market or whether it's to do with property, I say you have to be really dispassionate. It's a business decision, nothing more, nothing less. It's business straight away. And if it's not making you money, then you don't have it. And if it, not, if it doesn't have potential to make you money, then don't have it. Um, and I think from that, we're both on the same um, on the same lines of helping people understand how to get into these types of investments. I wanted to divest a, uh, diverge a little bit. Uh, since the, the US election, and obviously we've got President, or the, um, President-elect Joe Biden's looking like taking over at the moment, um, we've seen the US dollar drop away against most major currencies across the world. And generally when you see a lower US dollar, it just means there's gonna be a, a bit of economic weakness uh, uh, in the economy moving forward. And I'm not sure whether it's gonna be sustained weakness against other, other currencies, but generally when you get a lower currency, it can then stimulate 
um, people wanting to come in and buy assets into a country. So do you see, uh, if the US dollar stays lower, do you see much more of an influx into the US from international buyers into property? I, I do. I, I think that uh, the drop in the dollar uh, is uh, closely tied to the sentiment that the US government is going to pump more dollars mm -hmm. into the system, uh, which is essentially, you know, going to create, uh, I think that goes back to what we touched on with respect to, you know, the effect on rates as well. Um, and I do think that uh, the fundamental support, however, uh, for U.S. investments, property or otherwise, is certainly going to attract uh, foreign investment. Uh, you know, it certainly has in the past. And I think that uh, when you look at the uh, use of those dollars to prop up the economy, uh, and what that means. And I think also the fact that, you know, if we can get a vaccine distributed, mm. uh, hopefully next year, you know, you will start to see what a lot of people have predicted is this V-shaped recovery. So in terms of attracting foreign dollars, and I think that certainly it's not going to be lost on those investors. And I think we're going to see that dynamic happen. Yeah, it sounds like uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the market right now, whether it's retail or whether it's uh, uh, commercial investing or whether it's residential property from right across the board from what you're saying today and obviously what we we're talking about last week it sounds like now's the time for people to do their research and get out of there crunch the numbers and see if they can get into some good investments. So uh, is that really what your take is on the market at the moment? Yeah, I, I, I think that that's right. Uh, and I think particularly, you know, tying together a lot of, you know, what you're touching on, you know, where, you know, you're seeing retail, regardless of what happens to it uh, in the long term, and it's certainly going to become something that there's going to be a recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a sharp one, because it was also the most impacted. Uh, I think you're also going to see the same materialize uh, with hospitality assets, um, which I think actually is going to enjoy the benefits of a recovery and actually not have to deal with all of the things that retail was dealing with pre-COVID. Uh, and if you look at a lot of uh, foreign investment, there's uh, uh, you find that uh, there tends to be an appetite for hospitality assets. Um, because there's just a trend, and especially if you look at Asia, which has been an active investor in U.S. assets and particularly property, um, you know, tourism is always high uh, and there's always just been an appetite for hospitality assets as a result. So I think right now, hospitality assets are on sale. You tie that together with a weakened dollar and a reopening of an economy, you know, that points to near-term sharp growth I think it makes for a very, very uh, strong combination to mm. attract investors. Fantastic. Oh, always lovely to chat to you, David. I, again, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful chat again. You're a wealth of knowledge. Um, how do people find you again before we finish up? Uh, so uh, my company website, capstackpartners.com, uh, or uh, I'm very active on my socials. You can find me on LinkedIn, David Black, Capstack CEO, and I'm happy to engage with anyone. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, David, for your time. And we look forward to catching up again sometime soon. Take care.
Take care. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wealth Within, a global leader in stock market education. For more information on our courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre.